0: EM Board Bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs episode where learning is now more enjoyable and fun and memorable. I'm your host, Blake Briggs. Iltafot, Dr. Hussein will not be joining us today. He's actually in a meeting at his state capital arguing that a reported history of an iodine allergy cannot actually exist. It's actually contrary to medical science and basic biology. So we'll keep you posted. We'll let you know if that law gets passed. Remember that for each 10 to 15 minute episode, you gain high yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. We got a pretty sweet, amazing, incredible, life-changing rapid-fire board review podcast. It's actually the only board review podcast in the world. Interactive Question Bank, we allow posting for questions. All of our episodes are only about three to eight minutes per question, and that's why it's called Rapid Bombs. Hashtag no filter. Hashtag no waste of time. (laughs) It's one of those podcasts where you can literally just hit cruise control in your car, go for a walk with your dog, do whatever you want, yoga, something like that. And you're really just crushing questions instead of sitting down droning out your day going through questions on a white screen computer. How awful. So let's get into the question here. we got a 10-month-old male, and he's brought to the ED due to episodes of lethargy. Even better, a pediatric patient with lethargy, just when you thought it couldn't get worse. Mom states he has been irritable with episodes of tiredness and decreased energy over the past 12 hours. He has not eaten all day. The adamant is tender throughout to palpation is tachycardic on evaluation. Vitals are otherwise normal. What is the next best step? Choice A, abdominal radiograph. Choice B, abdominal ultrasound. Choice C, CT, abdomen and pelvis. Choice D, CBC, and CMP. The correct answer here is going to be choice A, abdominal radiograph. So we're going to talk about intussusception today, and that is quite a word. I should get credit for even saying it correctly on the first attempt. It's a telescoping of part of the intestine into itself. It's the most common abdominal emergency in young children less than two years of age, and it's the most common cause of bowel obstruction in children. It also happens to be the most annoying word to ever spell. So let's list those first two things again, because you just have to know them. I'm going to say it louder for the back, even though Iltifat can't hear me, so I'm going to say it loud enough for him to hear it at the state capitol. It is the most common abdominal emergency in children less than two years of age. It is the most common cause of bowel obstruction in children. So in adults, it's super rare. We're not even going to talk about it. And it should prompt concern for cancer, unfortunately. So the typical age range is six to 36 months of age. You have to know these age ranges. You know, they're different for each pediatric condition. And that's important for real life too, right? So if you're thinking, hey, I got a five-year-old, you're gonna be thinking a little bit different for abdominal pathology than a, you know, one-year-old, right? 90% of the patients are in that age range too. So it's pretty accurate, six to 36 months of age. Still, you're going to have to consider the diagnosis outside the age range. We're not saying things can't happen, but on the test, it'll never happen. On the test, they will absolutely give you the correct age range, and that is the diagnosis in that range, not outside it. Those outside the age range, however, are more likely to have a pathologic lead point. So what is a lead point? So, A lead point is a lesion in the intestine that is trapped by intestinal movement, and it's dragged into a distal segment, precipitating intussusception. which if I say it fast enough, it it sounds even weirder. So the most common location involves the ileocecal junction, occurring in about 90% of cases. And overwhelmingly, 75% of childhood cases are idiopathic, and we don't really know what's causing it. You know, there's no masses, there's no lead point, et cetera. In about 25% of cases, there's an underlying pathology that causes a lead point, as we said earlier, right? And that's going to be more commonly in children outside that 6 to 36 age range. So some conditions that you need to be familiar with that can predispose into susception. That's going to be Meckel's diverticulum. We had a podcast on that last week. Any intestinal polyps, any lymphoma, any vascular malformations, uh, certain parasites, our old friend, Schonlein purpura, cystic fibrosis, and finally, hemolytic uremic syndrome. So let's just summarize that. You don't have to memorize that at all. That's a waste. I hate lists. I can't believe I just subjected myself to reading off a list on a podcast, much less a pediatric disease list. But in general you have to understand that all those conditions are going to be either, hey, it's cancer, or it's inflammation, or it's vascular malformation. So that's really it's really about it. That's what it comes down to here. So as the intussusception develops, the mesentery it's dragged into the bowel, it causes venous lymphatic congestion with resultant in edema, and then, you know, of course resulting necrosis later and blah blah blah, bad stuff. Really bad things. So let's talk about the presentation here. The classically taught presentation is a sudden onset of intermittent, severe abdominal pain, and these episodes are marked by crying, distress, and they occur at 20-minute intervals. In between these episodes, the child is said to behave normally. You know, they're on their PlayStation or Xbox, or watching kids play with toys on YouTube, um, TikTok. I've learned recently that I've seen five-year-olds watch TikTok videos. I was actually kind of shocked, but we don't have time for a culture review uh, on this podcast. That's another podcast you can listen to. So emesis can also occur as well with these episodes, and even more rarely to add to this whole weird presentation that I'm just telling you right now, the classically taught presentation, a sausage-shaped mass is felt in the right side of the abdomen. By sausage, I'm not sure what type of shape of sausage they're saying. Is it like a type of a circular-shaped sausage? Is it a hot dog-shaped sausage? I'm not sure. They didn't really clear on that in the paper I read. Well, good news. We hate to break it to you, but these symptoms are extremely unreliable. They're pretty worthless. So in fact, this triad that I'm telling you of pain with episodes, palpable sausage-shaped mass, and current jelly stool is like less than 15% of patients. That's pretty awful. Let's just pause to remember how awful that is. Think about it for a second. So. That sucks, so that's not going to help you at all. I would just throw it out the window. Bloody stool is only seen in about 50% of cases, with an additional 25% with occult blood. And here's the kicker. I hope you're sitting down so you don't fall when you hear the stat. Nearly 20% of infants will not have any obvious distress or pain. Mic drop. Perhaps the least helpful but most common symptom is going to be lethargy. That's good news, right? Because we... (laughs) We all love to hear that word when it comes to adults and children. It's a word that I tell residents to delete out of the chart if they're discharging a patient. They say, yeah, the patient looks you know, kind of lethargic, but I think they can go home. I'm like, those two things you just said don't agree with each other. <laughs> you can't do that. You can say tired. You can say fatigued. But when you say the word lethargic, <laughs> that automatically changes everything you're doing. So the least helpful but most common symptom of a deception is going to be lethargy. And yeah, we all hate it. Uh, But lethargy is going to get worse as this pathology progresses. And really just to summarize the presentation here, any child aged six to 36 months of age with isolated and unexplained lethargy or altered consciousness, just automatically think it deception. I'm sorry. It stinks, but you got to think it. And don't rely on the classic presentation of this intermittent abdominal pain with sausage shaped masses and 20 minute intervals of crying and distress and behaving normally. That's great for the test. But even test questions are getting away from this because they know it's so darn obvious. That any medical student would even know this too, or a pre-med student could know this, and it's just not never going to be seen. If you are looking for that, you will miss so many interception cases. One should still ask about, you know, abdominal pain, episodes of crying, vomiting, rectal bleeding, lethargy. You got to ask about that stuff still. And your exam should evaluate for abdominal distension, masses, or rebound and guarding. But you know, again, it's not going to help you that much. So when you have a differential list in a lethargic infant or toddler with abdominal pain, that's going to be a long one. But there's three other diagnoses that can present very similar with vomiting and potentially bloody diarrhea, and you can't miss those at all. Here are the three of them. Malrotation with volvulus, that's scary. Bacterial colitis, less scary. And Meckel diverticulum, less scary, but harder to find. Those three diagnoses you must consider with intussusception. So what's your first test you're gonna get? Well, that was the correct answer, right? An abdominal radiograph with ultrasound, and you should perform those in all suspected cases. People are probably crying on this podcast right now. They're, they're writing a letter to the editor. We don't have one. Sorry. <laughs> That's part of the reason I didn't do it. I didn't want to get hate mail. So part of the reason that you get an abdominal radiograph is no, it's not going to diagnose an interception. Only very rarely will a target sign be seen on an x-ray, but it is going to help rule out perforation and malrotation with volvulus, which if present, obviously requires operative management rather than non-operative reduction if you see it you know interception potentially with perforation the sensitivity of radiographs to diagnose intussusception alone is like less than 50% so it is worthless for that and the specificity is 20% <laughs> but when you have patients with a suspected intussusception you should always get an initial plain abdominal radiograph it's also helpful these radiographs to screen for other causes as we already talked about so you know, the, the question here to delve into that is that he was saying that this patient was tachycardic and was tender everywhere in the abdomen. So, even if you aren't one of those people that gets radiographs and weren't really thinking down that road of, hey, I need a radiograph, even if I'm thinking of intussusception, this patient had concerning signs for possible peritonitis. Abdomen is tender throughout, not eaten all day, worsening lethargy, scary word, remember that, big red flags, alarms go off, and tachycardic kind on of evaluation. Remember that children are rarely hypotensive uh, early on in their disease process. And they have quite a reserve. And also remember that tachycardia uh, may be the only sign for a lot of patients that have peritonitis. Uh, hypotension is a very late finding, especially in children. So let's talk about ultrasound more. In the hands of an experienced technician, the sensitivity and specificity is like 100%. It's really good, with a negative predictive value of 100% as well. That's something I learned when I was reviewing for this podcast in the handout on in deception. I didn't know it was that good. That's really, really good. That's much better than an appendix ultrasound. So. When you're getting this ultrasound, be confident that if you have a negative result and they fully visualize the intestines pretty well with no major bowel gas overlying it, that they have a really good view. In other words, you know, a negative ultrasound definitively rules out intussusception. The classic finding on ultrasound is going to be this target sign, which basically are the layers of the intestine within the intestine, intestinal It Your mind's Leonardo DiCaprio would be proud of this podcast, I and mean, we were talking about things within things like inception. So management those acutely ill. Unstable vitals or signs of perforation require surgery, right? If you have that positive abdominal radiograph, you're calling surgery right away. Otherwise, any non-emergent reasons for surgery would include if your primary reduction is unsuccessful, especially if there's a persistent focal filling defect on imaging concerning for a mass lesion blockage. We're going to talk about the reduction techniques in a second. Patients with no perforation are going to undergo a non-operative reduction, and that's going to be via a hydrostatic or pneumatic pressure by enema. We're not going to get into the difference between those two. Every institution uh, might have different varying practices on which type of enema they use. No reason to learn that as an emergency physician, unless you're just really passionate about enemas. (laughs) That's your entomology specialized uh, emergency care. So enema reduction has a high success rate. It's like 70 to 85%. It's really good. There is a small risk of perforation, but it's less than 1%. The best part of this is that you don't have to do any sedation. You don't have to do any anesthesia, no analgesia. It's, nothing's needed for this procedure. It's literally just an enema. So the success rate of non-operative intervention, it's going to be lower in those with delayed presentation and those with an identifiable lead point. We talked about this already. Those patients are just a little more complicated, right? And the important points here is that no antibiotics are needed in successful cases. They have not been found to be helpful and uh, we should all be big fans of limiting our antibiotic usage. Diet may be quickly advanced to clear fluids and beyond that if the child tolerates. So what's the recurrence rate? Let's say, hey, uh, you know, you're doing these enemas, that's great, they work really well, but what are the chances the child comes back uh, with uh, repeat interception? Well, that's unfortunate. It's gonna be a, about 10 to 20% total recurrence rate in successful non-operative reduction. It's not an insignificant number. Over 50% of those recurrences occur within the first 72 hours importantly, a reoccurrence alone is not an indication for surgery. So just because they come back and say, hey, that failed, um, it's time to open them up. <laughs> it's not the case. Uh, hold those scalpels. You can always just try the enema again. Can you discharge these patients? Can you discharge an intussusception that was successfully treated with an enema? Yes, you can. Uh, you can do a short period of observation, about two to three hours maybe. You know, everybody likes to vary two to three hours to four hours. I remember when I was a resident, the uh, Uh, varying hours for how long do you watch a patient after racemic epi, that was uh, as variable as the stock market is nowadays. Um, (laughs) So it's been an area of debate if you can send these patients home. Some have argued that admission and observation is needed and studies have shown that the recurrence rates of interception, they don't differ with children observed at home versus hospital admission. So what do I vote for? The one thing I have to say is that if your hospital policy says you have to do one thing, uh, well, you have to do that. If you disagree with it, then uh, form a committee and try to change it. But what I vote is, if you don't have any hospital policy, like so many hospitals out there, I vote for shared decision making, uh, and that's really the big thing I do a lot with my patients. Uh, shared decision making with the family. You know, there are risks for staying in the hospital as well. There's also risks for going home too, depending on the social uh, circumstance and what's going on with the family. So you just need to give strict return precautions if you send them home, and be aware that recurrence can happen. We're not going to get into the dilemma and debate of disposition of these interception cases. That's way outside the scope of this podcast. You will never, ever be asked that on a test question. They know it's controversial. So what are they going to focus on here in summary? So we have to know that intussusception again, is the most common abdominal emergency in children less than two years of age. It's also the most common cause of bowel obstruction in children in general. It's very rare in adults. We have to know that 90% of cases are within the age range of six to 36 months of age those who are outside the age range are more likely to have a lead point and are more likely to have an unsuccessful reduction when it comes to that remember that the classically taught presentation of pain palpable sausage mass and currant jelly stool is less than 15% of patients you're not going to have this classic episodic crying phase where they draw up all their extremities into the center and then like you know feel better in 20 minutes or whatever and they do it again 20 minutes later extremely poor extremely unreliable you're going to miss a lot of cases if you follow that mantra so instead go off lethargy you know, think, hey, a lethargic child or episodes of crying or episodes of vomiting every now and then or any abdominal pain whatsoever in this age range, you need to at least think about intussusception. Remember that you get an abdominal radiograph before ultrasound, and that's to catch other diagnoses like volvulus, bacterial colitis, potentially mectodiverticulum, whatever, things like that. Things you need to look for that could have a perforation as well, and that'll completely change your management. Remember that the ultrasound is really, really good. Its sensitivity and specificity approaches 100%. It's extremely good. A negative ultrasound rules out susception Reduction via enema, either hydrostatic or pressure, is first-line treatment for those with no perforation and those who are hemodynamically stable. Enema reduction is really, really good. However, there is a recurrence rate up to 20%. And so, remember that you can debate admitting these patients or discharging them depending on your hospital policy, depending on shared decision making no antibiotics are indicated for the treatment of interception or prophylaxis with interception that's really good i only slightly stumbled once with the word interception so i want you uh, after this podcast i want you to say interception 10 times in your head and if you're at a grocery store or a restaurant i want you to say it out loud and hopefully your spouse or partner if they're non-medical or your friends around you will look at you and think this is what you do every day this is what you this is your job <laughs> thanks for listening again so remember drop us an app review, please. These reviews really help us. We've had a good amount come in. Remember to drop in to join our interactive podcast. It's a pretty sick deal, if I don't say so myself. We have a monthly plan that you can do or an annual plan, uh, and this is just really allowing for instead of bolus learning, more like drip learning, where you're getting spaced repetition. It's interactive. You can ask us questions, and there's coaching. Every board mom has a coaching aspect. We tell you all the ways boards will ask you about the subject we just presented. That's something you just never get with text-based question banks. So remember that. And you get a new podcast pretty much every day when you subscribe. To the Interactive Question Bank. Look in the description link of EM Boerbombs below this podcast on your podcast app, and you'll find the link to the interactive question bank. You can also check out our website, embohrebombs.com, and our Twitter for more information on our interactive question bank. I'm your host, Blake Briggs. Thanks again for listening. Hopefully, it'll follow me we'll back next time. See you again.